music, reality. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But we as entertainers have a responsibility to these kids. Side. Hello and welcome to a podcast about something where each week we dive deep into whatever it is we find interesting. I'm your host Calvin and joining me from an abandoned warehouse full of used records, it's your co-host, the true superior Nick. Nick Richardson. You're goddamn right, Nick. <laughs> Take that, with Nick my, Amell my, from the Tennis Podcast. My goddamn records. Yeah, Nick take that, back. Nick. <laughs> back again. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm shady, but you should tell your friends. Tell a friend. Guess who's back. Guess who's back. Guess who's back. Da-na-na. So today, we're going to talk about track 16 from the Eminem show, When the Music Stops. And I think this song, it just does a great job at really getting to the heart of what happens when we lose our love for an artist or when an artist just stops making music. And, you know, that's hard to deal with sometimes. Yeah, especially when you can tell the artist has lost love for themselves. Right, and that's what Eminem's getting on with this track. So let's just talk about the song. Let's do it. I can fucking do it. <laughs> That's not actually what the uh, the plot was for this episode. We're actually going to talk about a lot of different uh, artists and musical acts who have lost that love or lost their popularity in music. Uh, where we thought, you know, they, they were at the tippy top. We thought they were going to be around for a long time. And uh, then, then they just fell off. Uh, we're not talking just about a random Eminem song from 2002. It's not even that good. It's, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's it's very it's very okay. But no, we're gonna it's get top into those... fifteen out of twenty two on the Eminem show. That's there's like four interludes on that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> at least two. I know there's two. Um, but no, we're gonna get into some musical acts that we personally thought were gonna be like king shit or. Not necessarily that, but more so they were super duper important to us at a point in our lives where we thought that they were never going to go away. And then they kind of fucking did. Important to us or like felt like they were more important to the world than maybe they actually were, right? Society at large. Yeah. Because sometimes things take – the you, you feel like a band takes the world by storm and – it, it does, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Like Hootie and the Blowfish. What the hell happened to those guys? Simon and Garfunkel. Sure. I think Simon died. Yeah, I think so too. And I know like Darius Rucker's still out there doing his thing, but Hootie and the Blowfish is, is gone. Like They're not a thing. They're big in the 90s. Dishwalla, there's another one. A lot of random 90s bands pop up, uh, but we are not talking about either of those specifically. Um did you do any research on the first mega act that was like this big thing worldwide and then fell off? I I gotta say he's not necessarily fell off, um, but he did fucking die, and his reputation took a big hit. And that's Elvis goddamn Presley. Okay, you went with so Elvis. Here's I went even older than that, but I'll let you go in on Elvis first. I I think honestly Elvis is really the first like worldwide musical name 
especially, I mean, he toured all over the world and he did a lot of crazy shit. But his reputation, I mean, he's the butt of a million jokes. I've heard one Elvis song in my entire life that I actually enjoyed. I'm not a big fan. It was his Christmas song, which my wife played relentlessly when we first got together. So it's around Christmas. So it's like, okay, I guess I'm, I gotta like this. Elvis is fine, but like, I would never go out. I would never go out of my way to listen to Elvis, but like, if it's on in a store I'm shopping on, I'm not gonna get immediately mad. Like if I, I don't know what's the Call Me Maybe was on at the height of its power, right? Where it's played every fucking day, seventeen times a day. Call Me Maybe, who's that? Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna sing it, but then like most of the lyrics left my head, so I like I, I can't put it together. Sorry. Don't lie, you know that whole song. I if it the was whole on, song, look if it was on, I would, but I can't like pull, I can't pull the pieces together in my brain right now to to do it. So that's a problem. So if somebody wants to play it for me, I got you. I'm right there with you because I heard that song at least two thousand times through my headphones at the gym. Is the right. And so Elvis isn't that doesn't bring that level of ire out in me, but I agree with what you're saying in that he was this first huge act that had the ladies swooning. Uh, you know, men wanted to be him, women wanted to be with him. Everybody from around the world knew who Elvis was and wanted to dance in their blue suede shoes. I mean, there's people make a living impersonating that fat son of a bitch. He has an it's employee. Just him. He's not dead. It's just him going to different places. That's true. I mean, he's a, he is a hard worker. Very, very hard worker. But his downfall, man, is really what got me. It's it's drastic. Barbiturates and amphetamines will fucking get you. And being horrendously... I never understood someone who could do that much, like, amphetamine and be that fat. Well, am, <laughs> like, amphetamine, not only the amphetamines, but also w- was active. Like if you're getting oh, dude, on yeah. stage and singing and dancing, like that's not a hard job. Like there's a or that's not an easy oh, yeah, job, yeah. and it's not easy on your body. There's a reason people like Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger are so fucking skinny, and that yeah, they're like, gross. The the drugs are part of it, and being on stage sweating every day and like moving around dancing like that, that's hard work. Well, I mean, uh, or it's effortful a, work. Well, it t- it takes effort. I mean, just not sleeping in your own bed, having no routine, touring all the time. He did 168 shows in his last, like, year of life. But I read this funny little quote that said, basically, all the dude did was just stayed posted on his fucking mic stand and just did not, like, move from there. (laughs) So he's just pouring out of his big, dumb, stupid idiot white suit. And uh, I just, I feel bad for the guy being such a caricature now. Yeah. And that's all it is. Bruno Mars even got his start as an Elvis impersonator in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, in Hawaii. Um, but I'm gonna drop some knowledge on you here because oh, Elvis was the not the first mega act. I googled around the internet, and uh, what kept coming up was a man by the name of Franz Liszt. And I had never heard of Franz Liszt, but he showed up several times when I googled quote first musical superstar. So that's gotta count for something. So I looked into him, right? And my my immediate thoughts went to Elvis and the Beatles. It's it's one of those, right? Because Elvis is in the 50s, Beatles are in the 60s, and then right. it, it takes off from there. And I think Elvis led to the Beatles. I don't think the Beatles would have been the Beatles without Elvis being there first. Yeah, Maybe they would have been. I don't know. I don't know. I think it was... 
but I, I think it took Elvis to take those steps, but neither of them would have been able to take those steps if it wasn't for my man, France. Uh, so Was he German? He is a 19th century Hungarian classical composer. Nice. He the dude over- probably had the best beard ever. I'm sorry, I, I got I, I uh, to I don't know about his beard. That's a good question. God I didn't damn, check the beard it, because those fucking beard? it wasn't about beards. No, no beard. He's got some sick locks, though. He's got flowing hair. No beard. I wish. <laughs> he he overcame a poor background to become a bona fide celebrity. And in fact, the word celebrity started being used in its current form surrounding lists rise to fame, according to the Oxford Dictionary. So celebrity existed, the word celebrity existed before Franz Liszt became, I, I keep thinking there's an N in there in his last name, there's not. Uh, the word celebrity existed before that, but the the modern meaning of it rose with him of like this person that is in the limelight a uh, popular star kind of thing so he he revolutionized the word celebrity so did elvis do that no this dude banged so many chicks that every beat writer was just like this guy's a fucking celebrity this guy yeah. it's the only way to describe it. they had to make a new nice. they had to start using a new seldom used word to describe him people do that weird shit dude i'm telling you so because it, it was all men writers back then you, you already oh, know yeah. there's no female writers they're all just like nice according to his biographer dr oliver hilms he released a highly infectious strain of listomania that gripped europe for years at a time he captivated audiences at an early age as a musical prodigy but also later with a distinctive air he cultivated at the piano tossing his shoulder-length locks and swaying hypnotically over the keyboard as he played. Some sort of 19th century Elton John or something over there. He's a fucking witch! Witch! He's in a seance. That dude... No, I gotta say... I thought you were literally talking about an STD at first. He unleashed over Europe. A horrendous strain. <laughs> that's how his, his biographer describes it. Like, that's insane that, that this is the way that they were talking about him. So, in the process of See, over... bitches, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> that's what it was. In the process of over a thousand recitals, he effectively invented the profession of the interna- international concert pianist. Crowned heads and of state paid court to him, women threw themselves at his feet, and others lost their reason. The popular <laughs> press of the time reported at length on Liszt's concert and at an even greater length on the numerous escapades that fueled their feverish interest in him. So, like, this dude was legit. He's out there just mowing down chicks with his gorgeous <laughs> locks after he plays the piano. It, I, I keep picturing uh, Adam Scott in uh, Step Brothers singing Brennan oh. Has a Mangina when he's got that fake dressed-up little stupid yeah. hair. That, that's kind of what it is. He's got that look a little bit, I would say. Nice. He looks nice. I I want to see a movie with Chalamet playing him. I'm a I big Chalamet that, fan here. Yeah. Here at a podcast about something. Yeah. We love Chalamet. Shout out Dune. Um so his fall came with a literal fall. He fell down oh, the stairs at a hotel in Weimar at seventy years old and was left immobilized for eight weeks and never fully recovered. He died of pneumonia five years later after dealing with several ailments and constant feelings of desolation, despair, and a preoccupation with death after this accident. So he fell that and then sucks. just never returned to prominence. Boo. 
that's that's that sucks, dude. Yeah, that's whack ten, if you ask me. <laughs> that's whack thirty six. Oh, I don't. I think you got to go back to thirty five because the listeners didn't hear the thirty five joke earlier. Oh, well, they're not gonna get it now. So it's whack ten. All right. Yeah, whack ten. Next one will be whack eleven. All right. All right. I. We'll have to keep a running whack list at what number we're on. I will do that. So what do you think leads to the long-standing success that a lot of these groups or artists that we're going to talk about today couldn't quite achieve? Like, what are they missing? Uh, Knowing when to quit. <laughs> that's part of it. That's definitely part that's, of it. That's like the number one thing is knowing when to say, we're done. We've put out our best stuff. Our creativity's gone. Let's uh, Let's go away and just not sell ourselves out and second is marketing if you can't market yourself at all you're not going to be a good band yeah i agree i i had branding on uh one of as one of my things i it, i think strong branding pays off more than it should and you can look at like taylor swift and beyonce to see that their brands are synonymous with great music regardless of what music they're putting out so anything they do at this point is perceived as great regardless if it actually is or not. You can say the same thing for like Jay-Z where 444 was objectively terrible <laughs> and it was stuck in this like shifting styles rigmarole that I want to talk a little bit more about and music critics just ate that shit up and they're fawning all over oh he's back, Jay-Z's the best you know and they, they just couldn't bring themselves to say anything negative about the Jigga Man and honestly it, it was bad 444 was bad Damn, Calvin's about to get some hate, man. Yeah, I, if you like 444, then you can unsubscribe. I've never listened to 444. Yeah. And if you go back further, somebody like Aerosmith can still draw a crowd with Steven Tyler, like, because he ha and he has so many, like, forward-facing jobs still. He He's doing singing competition shows, he's in commercials, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. He's because, like 75. Yeah. He's he old as fuck. <laughs> He kept the Steven Tyler brand and the Aerosmith brand at the forefront of the collective consciousness for like the last, what, 60 years? Since the 60s, like 70s? That. Well, and at the um, same time, they haven't – they don't put out much music. Early 2000s they, was probably the last like actual album. I right, and they had one great single from that album, and I couldn't tell you what the fuck it is. I know it's a more recent one. Um, yeah, because they, just... they had – so they had an album in the late 90s. Then they had the Armageddon song, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. And then they had one more album like really early in the 2000s that had another couple singles off of it, which I, I don't remember off the top of my head. And like it, it helps that he has this truly unique and amazing voice that kind of sets him apart from other rock stars. But he's kept himself out there. So when you think of Aerosmith, you think of him first. Your mind doesn't go to a single song. And that's the same thing with Beyonce and Taylor Swift and Jay-Z. When you think of them, you think of them. You don't think of a song. Whereas, like, you hear T.I. or ACDC, you think of what your favorite song is by them, right? You don't yeah, think about the band ACDC. as a whole or the person. Right. Absolutely. You're. I mean, you're correct. Correct the moon. And so I think with your marketing, I think that's what – I mean, that that's important. The other thing I think that helps have this long-standing success is being adaptive to – the shifting focus of whatever popular music is or at least setting the trend i think the most successful bands or groups are the people that set the trends as you know time progresses but are or, they or do they get left behind 
are, are no I I mean like look at Drake that dude okay, has set so, so right. many trends so that that, that was the person I was going to talk about here is Drake he has shifted every over the past 20 or 10 years Drake has been you know at the forefront of hip hop but his style on every album you listen to after over the last 10 years is different but he's still good at it each time whereas like Jay-Z and TI or even Lil Wayne they they try to half shift styles, but they only they only get like halfway there, and they still want to do what made them great in the early 2000s, and kind of try and blend in what's actually popular today, which is not the same thing as what they're good at. So oh, then you get not. this album that's like halfway in, halfway out, and it just doesn't work. Well, it's fucking shit. Like anything Wayne put out after No Ceilings, in my opinion, has been shit. I mean, or No Ceilings and After. That album was trash. Jay-Z, same thing. Kingdom Come was bad. Uh, the American Gangster soundtrack was good. Blueprint 3 was good. And then nothing else was very... Magna Carta Holy Grail was not... Like, it was fine, but it wasn't very good. 444 wasn't very good. T.I. after Paper Trail, like, really right after he got out of jail, was his last good album. Lil Wayne, like you said, No Ceilings. And they just... They can't recapture that. And when they when they do this, you know, one foot in, one foot out, they modern audiences don't like the one foot out that that we would like and us older fans we don't like the one foot in where they're trying to meet modern audiences halfway and it it just come becomes this garbled mess well they don't i mean unless you can capture everyone successfully or new generations successfully then you're fucked and i think i i think you have to be a trendsetter i mean i think Drake not only has adapted as it's gone along, he set that he trend, set it, which yeah. other people have followed, and that's incredibly tough to do. But well, you so, know, if you can do it, then you're successful. Yeah, and so, so I had a cat clawing at me. I was like, what? <laughs> when when Drake came on the scene in 2009, 2010, he was very much mimicking what was great at the time: Jay Z, Ti, Lil Wayne. Right? He's right there with them. And then as we moved into mumble rap, he kind of went that way too. He kind of slowed things down. I uh, started working with The Weeknd and and with Bruno Mars and things like that, and and slowed himself down, and adapted to modern audiences. And then and he's still doing that. Like I won't listen to a new, new Drake album because it's not for me, but you know the, the people that it's for love it. And I can still go back and listen to early Drake, and I love it. And yeah, every he's... once in a while, he'll put out a, a banger. Usually it's a diss song of some sort, and he'll put out like a real rap song now. And, you know, that to those, those I'll listen to because I, that that's the style of music that I like. And whereas these other guys that I was talking about, they'll, they'll put out on a song, on an album, or even just a song, they'll do that half in, half out where nobody fully likes it. So they're splitting their audience, and then they're splitting their audience again because... You're like, eh, it's okay. Everybody's just like, eh, it's okay, right? Right. Well, and just and on the back end, you have lack of critical reception because that's still that's still a fucking thing. I mean, people talk online and stuff, but people still look to like Entertainment Weekly and stuff like that to yeah. see, you know, who's. I don't know. The, they all said 444 was good, and they're fucking wrong. So. That's. I mean, they go to it to see what not to listen to. Yeah. Next week on a podcast about something, a podcast about 444, and we're just gonna trash it the whole time. Okay, I'll listen to that whole album. Don't do it, Nick. And I think Taylor Swift and Beyonce, like I said on the other thing, they're great examples of this as well. Of, of like, and like you said, they they control the shifts, right? They're the ones that set the trends. They're the ones that saying, nope, this is what pop music is going to be now. When Taylor Swift first came on, she was a, a country singer. 
And then once she got more and more poppy, she started setting, okay, this is what pop music is going to sound like. And Katy Perry's and Carly Rae Jepsen's and Selena Gomez's all followed her lead. Same with Beyonce. And, you know, if you compare them to like Britney Spears, who had a good run in the 90s and early 2000s, but just couldn't hold on as long because she didn't have that ability to completely change her style as it needed or to set a new style or like Brandy who didn't have a great run, but you know, she was really good in the nineties. Everybody loved her. And she was like at the tippy top of the game, 97, 98, like Brandy was it. Um, I don't even know who the fuck that is, but she wasn't super Ray J's sister. She's on Moesha. She was on Moesha. She had like couple number one hit singles. She was in a, a a Cinderella remake. Um, she, she was at the top of her game, like 98, but she wasn't versatile like Beyonce is and she couldn't do other things. So once, once the music passed her, she was done. Dunzo. Dunzo. Motherfucking Dunzo. So that's, that's what makes good bands and artists last a long time. Let's talk about some bands and artists that couldn't quite hold up the way these people we were just talking about. can Nick, you get to go first here. It's your idea. Who is your first group or artist? So we obviously we get to pick two each, and these were really hard for me to settle on because there's been a lot of like a lot of bands out there that I thought were the shit, and then they just fucking went away. Yeah. So we got but, just a point of order here. We have two each. Nick's gonna go. I'm gonna go. Nick's gonna go. I'm gonna go. And then at the end, our our fifth fundamental something about uh when the music stopped is. All our honorable mentions. People that we were considering putting in here and we didn't for one reason or another. So, I picked My Chemical Romance. I think you might have been a little older, so they didn't hit as hard with you. I, they No, they, they were big with my contemporaries. I did not like them in their first album. I really liked their second album. Oh, their second album. Uh, is Welcome to the Black Parade. Good. No, that's their... That's their third album. Okay. Blackbird. Their second okay. album is Three Cheers for Sweet. That's Revenge. the one I didn't like, but th- that was their first like hit album, right? Their their first one was I, I don't I don't know what it is. You probably uh... do, and you're probably gonna explain it to us. Um, I didn't like their sound on Three Cheers, but I really liked Welcome to the Black Parade. So, um, that they but they were they were there. They were around when I was when I was banging. When I was banging. So you play them while you were banging, Calvin? I was really not, weird I was thing not to say. banging anyone when I was banging My Chemical Romance. You can trust <laughs> me on that. Uh, no, dude, these these guys hit me right in the feels. I think I was – they released Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge in 2004, so their second album. And I was in seventh grade? God. Yeah. I was in tenth grade. I was in seventh grade, so right that whole album is just teenage angst, and de- that was when I was like I diagnosed with depression and and all yeah. that bullshit. So, yo, I thought they were. I, <laughs> I was part of that emo crowd for a little while, had all the long hair stuff like that, and I remember I discovered them because I was back when MTV was a thing. I used to watch MTV before school every day, and I saw the music video for Helena and was just like. Whatever this is, I want to do it. I want to like I'm. You're, you're preaching to my little, you know, preteen heart. And uh, 
I mean, they just, they absolutely nailed, like, the teenage angst and just being the creative oddball outsider that had something to say, where... I don't, I don't think anyone really captured that quite like My Chemical Romance did in the emo era. I'm not going to disagree with you, because I, I think you're right. Again, I I just wasn't a fan during Three Cheers. I was in the... I, I, didn't, I didn't go full emo, but like me and my friends, we enjoyed this type of music. Um, you know, Taking Back Sunday, brand new Rufio... Fallout Boy, Hawthorne Heights, Census Fail, all, all oh, I can I can Hawthorne name. Heights. I yeah. haven't thought about them in forever. I oh think Hawthorne God. Heights would probably fit on this list pretty well. They had but like I don't I don't think they ever had a height. Yeah, it. I don't think they ever had an actual height. But I was more into those things, and like I knew my Chemical Romance was around. It just it never hit me the way some of these other bands did, and I I don't know why. I just like that was the one that I wasn't going to be in on. That was the real emo kid. Like, the real emo kids get My Chemical Romance. I get all this ancillary stuff on the outside of emo, right? I mean, I wasn't... I definitely didn't wear, like, all black all the time. And, no, and I, I was a I was a Debbie Downer for sure. And I, I thought a lot about it, and I think it boiled down to the frenetic nature of it. Because it's just so frenetic and so chaotic with this barely strung together overarching plot. And that was, like perfect as a 11 12 year old it's like yeah that's exactly what i'm feeling so I, i'm gonna jam out to this bullshit and fuck dude i saw i saw them in concert and what really kind of kicked me off of them because i i hated the black parade like really? this was my, this was my favorite album the, the black I, parade was more poppy which is probably it was why so I liked poppy, it more. dude i fucking hated that album it just it all sounded the same to me like it didn't have any that. variation to it, and I, I I saw him in concert when I was young, and I was so hyped up to to see him. You know, I had all the merch and the CDs, and I was gonna meet him and all that bullshit, and it was terrible. It was fucking yeah. They would be shit. a rough concert band. Well, their his voice is so good on the albums, and like their music videos are really creatively put together and shit like that. So you think they're going to be really dope live like that that frenetic nature will translate and it did not uh his voice was just like so gurgly from being shit-faced and smoking a thousand cigarettes and i know just, you're, you're making me think of all my favorite uh emo bands now they're just like, not moving around and stuff like that it just wasn't wasn't as tight so that was a bit of a that's a bit of a can't believe you don't like Hawthorne Heights I, I didn't say I didn't like. They had like two bangers. That was about it. I, their whole their first album was really good. Second album, but, their second so they tried to do the same thing. Like they got a little bit of of street cred and then they went poppy on their second album, and it's weird. But they just they let the studio or the yeah, label get involved, the label, and yeah. it just blew them away. I mean, usually there's some drugs involved with emo bands. That's or like some kind of extreme mental depression, and yeah. that's what. That's what hit the lead singer of MCR, uh, Gerard Way, is half their songs are about fucking blowing your brains out or some shit. I, that dude was shit-faced all the fucking time. You don't look like that unless you're drinking very heavily. Yeah, I could see that, for sure. So, you know, they, I mean, they just, they couldn't adapt. Like you, like you said, they, they went poppy, 
and they lost the the main they lost their edge yeah well not their yeah i guess in a sense <laughs> but they lost their uh you know the main group of people that what else do teenagers have to spend money on but fucking shitty albums and makeup and my chemical romance themed shirts exactly where are they now besides on the clearance rack at hot topic doing pretty well actually they reunited surprisingly this was news to me uh and played a couple concerts and i mean they 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 priced the tickets at like 200 bucks and they sold out in four minutes like 30,000 seat arenas so i mean they're still decently popular even though they had completely disappeared over the past 10 years um but gerard way is actually uh he was a comic illustrator before they got together and was inspired by 9-11 happening on his way to New York. That's I thought that was kind of weird that he decided to start a band after 9-11. He's like, yeah, I gotta fucking write some music about this shit. Um, but anyway, he, he wrote Doom Patrol for a while, and then uh, he created the Umbrella Academy. So, he's doing oh, okay. Okay, yeah, he's, he's out there. Yeah, I, I was a fool. I should have picked up Umbrella Academy number one. Because I saw Gerard Way and Gabriel, I think it's Yah, um, on the cover, and I was just like, eh, fuck My Chemical Romance. I'm sick of their poppy bullshit. So I didn't pick it up, and I'm a sucker for that, because that would have netted me like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, that would have been a good, that's a good plan. Sorry, I had a great idea for a episode on the emo music scene so i'm trying to write out some notes for it here <laughs> fuck those notes calvin write them later well i'll forget them if i write them later i, th- I think i got a, a good enough start that when i go back to it, i'll be like oh yeah that's what we were talking about you're gonna text me at like 2 30 like dude can you help me out with something what was that one song by coheed and cambria don't you remember it come on the suffering <laughs> i do remember it brother Love or coheed. uh the end Welcome home. Yeah. yeah, that's it. They had some I had naming a, schemes. The suffering, I actually like that song. It's just really quiet on all their their albums yeah. and YouTube and stuff. But the it, uh, yeah, welcome home. I keep wanting to say the end, but uh, I had a shitty group of friends that were in a shitty band together, and that was like their local claim to fame. They're a bunch of fourteen year olds playing Welcome Home, terribly, but they could play it for like nine straight minutes. So. Good on him, I guess. So, are we good on My Chemical Romance? Yep. I liked My Chemical Romance was solid. Shout out they to him were... for writing Doom Patrol. I mean, in Umbrella Academy. I enjoyed The comics are a lot better than the show. The show yeah, I didn't enjoy sucks. the show, so that's why I'm not giving a shout out for it. I, I liked the first season. The second season was dumb. My first musical group is Third Eye Blind. Do, do, do. What does that mean? Do to do to do to do to do to do. Uh, well, the third eye. So you know, on a dollar bill, it's got the pyramid on the back, right? With the eye. Right, the all-seeing eye. Yeah, that's that's the third eye. So they're the saying is the third eye is blind. I guess I don't know. That's my interpretation of it. That's but fair. I don't really. I, I'm not basing that on anything other than like, literally what I just said. It just makes me think they don't take help from the man. Man. Yeah. 
Um, so they're in the adult contemporary alternative rock genre in the mid to late 90s, mostly mid to late 90s, some early 2000s. Uh, technically, they're still going, but we'll get to that in a minute. They formed in 1993 in San Francisco. They released their first studio album. Huh? It's a good year. Yeah, 93. Shout out. I have six. Uh, they released their first born. <laughs> they released their first studio album in 1997, titled Third Eye Blind. Uh, it went six times platinum, which means it sold over six million top copies. If you don't know what platinum means, that's one million copies sold. Uh, God damn. Yeah, that's a lot. It peaked that's at, a shitload. It peaked at number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The uh, the album did. It featured five singles, which were Semi Charmed Life, Graduate, How's It Gonna Be, Losing a Whole Year, and Jumper. Their second album, Blue, was released in 1999. Uh, went single platinum. And featured four singles, Anything, Never Let You Go, Ten Days Late, and Deep Inside of You. Which, when I, when I was doing this and putting this together, and every time I'd read Deep Inside of You, it reminded me of the Aldous Snow song from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. But it's not Hell that song. Hell yeah. Inside of you. Inside. <laughs> it just went from six to midnight. I fucking love that movie. So it's not that song. Different. Uh, Damn it. Inside of you. Uh, I would say their their biggest claim to fame is by far Semi Charm Life, uh, which, as Wikipedia puts it, is an alternative is an alternative rock song composed with a rap influenced singing style. It incorporates shoegazer and big guitar chord soundscape musicality. Uh, that's what, what fuck does that mean? I don't know. That's what Gil Kaufman from Billboard wrote, and I just copy and pasted it from Wikipedia. You pretentious fuck. Me or How Gil Kaufman? Say, no, Gil Kaufman. I'm yeah. not gonna. You are not pretentious for copy and pasting. He is. Who the fuck's going to understand that shit? Just say it's dope. Yeah. Gil, you fucking loser. So I've got some more copy and pasted notes from Wikipedia here. Uh, <laughs> Summer Charm Life was written by solely by frontman Stephen Jenkins. Jenkins intended to write a song that acted as a San Francisco response to Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side, with the doot-doot-doot chants present throughout the song being directly inspired by Reed's song. In regards to the style of the song, Jenkins explained that it is meant to reflect changes that were occurring in San Francisco music scene, particularly a growing interest in hip-hop. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Jenkins said that the concept of the song was developed through his observations of friends using crystal meth at a Primus concert. The juxtaposition... <laughs> Let me get through it. The juxtaposition... Then we can go back to the crystal meth. The juxtaposition of the music and the lyrical content was intentional, as Jenkins intended to illustrate the bright, shiny feeling one gets when using crystal meth. However, Jenkins maintained that the meaning of the song more broadly relates to changing periods in one's life. He further explained the meaning of the song. There's more here. Uh, it's about living in Lower Height in San Francisco and all the machinations that were going on at the time where my friend group was finally out of the educational institutions that we'd been in our whole lives because we'd all been to school since kindergarten. Everybody's now, now was in their 20s and out of college. And then, probably underneath that, also the weight of coming to terms with the kind of agony that your life is always about to change and never be reliable. So, yeah, I think that's probably better that he extrapolated on that. Yeah, it that just helps. talked about how doing crystal method will lift you up until you won't yeah. stop. Lift you up? I mean, there's a, there's been a string of amphetamines involved here, so... Yeah, but so everybody says it's a song about crystal meth, and they do, like, they straight out say, doing crystal meth will lift you up and blah, 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 blah. And I, But I get what he's he's saying here is this, it's not actually about doing crystal meth, it's 
the way doing i've never done crystal meth so i can't speak to this but what he what he's saying is the doing the, doing the way doing crystal meth makes you feel is similar to that of your ever-changing life in your early 20s when you're job to job trying to find a job moving to new apartments getting roommates all this like everything's going on at once and it's hard to kind of clamp down on anything so i i, I think i get that yeah yeah I still think it's about crystal meth, though. I'm trying to find... I got the lyrics up. I'm trying to find the crystal meth sign. So, doing crystal meth will lift you up until you break it. It won't stop. I won't come down. I keep stock with a tick-tock rhythm. A bump for the drop. And then I bumped up. I took the hit that I was given. Then I bumped again. Then I bumped again. That I mean, that's a lot. That's like a full stanza about yeah, crystal really. meth. <laughs> I mean, it sounds sweet the way he's talking about it. It's like, well, oh, yeah. Let me start from the beginning of it. The sky was gold. It was rose. I was taking sips up into my nose. So, yeah, this is still all crystal meth. And I wish yeah, I could get back there someplace back there smiling in the pictures you would take. Yeah, doing crystal meth will lift you up, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, yeah the, I mean, the whole thing. Dude's pounding crystal, crystal meth. So it's about crystal meth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your changing life, you know, makes you want to go back to it. I and so he initially was against the decision to release Semi-Charm Life as a lead single from Third Eye Blind, as he did not believe it was representative of the work as a whole, uh, which is not. It has a pretty different sound than the rest of their album. I mean, often, like, bands hit singles do. Yeah. Um, the guitarist Kevin Cadigan was concerned with the explicit, ly explicit lyrical content of the song, as he had fears that radio stations would refuse to play the song. Electra Records suggested that the band release Semi-Chart Life as their debut single as opposed to losing a whole year, then prompting the release of several radio edits of the song. Upon the song's success, Jenkins explained that he felt most listeners misinterpreted the song to be a, to simply be a happy summertime jam. And, That's literally uh, what everyone interprets it as. <laughs> it it was, I mean, until... You pointed out meth to everyone, Calvin. God I mean, I didn't you. point this out. This has been going on, I would say, since like 06. People have been like, yo, you know it's really about crystal meth. So in the beginning, yeah, it was just the summertime pop. So, yeah. That's fair. Do, 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 do crystal meth. It's fucking tight. It's so good. Do it, yeah. In your nose. Yeah, and it's cheap. Walter White. You can make it yourself. <laughs> Mike Jones phone number. Jesse Pinkman. I don't remember it off the top of my head. Two eight one three three zero eight zero zero four. We'll get to Mike. You Jones. stumbled there. You stumbled there, man. Uh, Maybe if well, you had a no. little crystal meth, you'd be all right. I didn't stumble. I stopped short of going into the whole thing, so I had to recontextualize the foe into an actual four. Is what I was doing. Uh, but have you ever tried doing that? Oh, crystal meth. Crystal meth. <laughs> Third Eye Blind wants you to try, just saying. So, Semi Charm Life spent 43 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. It debuted at number 17 and peaked at number 4 in August of 1997. It reached number 1 on the Modern Rock and Mainstream Top 40 charts. And uh, it was it's number 53 on the all-time Mainstream Top 40 chart, which I think that's about right for this song. I hear it like once a week on the radio still. Yeah, I think number 50, like it's right in the middle of great pop songs of ever i mean i always thought it was a happy summertime jam and here i am wrong realizing Nick. it's about crystal meth um so their downfall really started shortly after uh their second album blue was released they fired the lead guitarist kevin cadigan 
Uh, he turned around and sued the band for wrongful termination, and uh, he was claiming royalties were being withheld from him. Uh, that suit was settled out of court in 2002. There wasn't really... So their next album came in 2003. It was titled Out of the Vein. Uh, it sold 500,000 copies over four years, which is half that, platinum. Yeah, that is fucking... Yeah, not, whack twelve. Yeah, that's definitely whack twelve. Uh, they fired at in 2010. They fired another guitarist, which similar lawsuits followed after they fired that guitarist. So apparently they had issues paying members after they fired them, and it was just kind of all downhill from there. They're mostly irrelevant now, I would say. They do still tour, and they released an album as recently as July 2019. What's, uh, what? I could not find any sales numbers on it though. It's because there weren't any. Yeah. People were just like, hard pass, Third Eye Blind. I have Crystal Meth to buy. Thank you. They have uh, they've gone through several configurations. Are, they're technically still together. Lead singer Stephen Jenkins and the drummer Brad Hargraves are the only remaining original active members now. Uh, I think they like their, their touring set is five members, so they have two of the original five still. I wonder how much they pull down every year. Uh, like 40 grand. Nah, it's probably more than that. I bet they could make a good living touring. People, people fucking like Third Eye Blind, man. Um, I think Third Eye Blind they they were regarded as one of the best pop rock bands in the mid to late '90s. I want to say like they're up there with Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, Counting Crows, those type of thing. Like Third Eye Blind is mentioned in those conversations, right? I mean, I guess. Are you not having those conversations about the best pop rock bands of the mid to late '90s? I am today, yeah. and it's fantastic. <laughs> and and to me, Semi Charm Life and Jumper still slap. And if you throw on Semi Charm Life, every single white millennial within hearing distance of that song is going to start singing and dancing to it. Every single one. Oh, dude, I'll always. It's when I'm driving my daughter to daycare. Speaking of, they used to draw. They used to play Loser every morning, and now they've turned to playing Kid Rock. Ugh. What a loser. Yeah, I've been meaning to update you with that, oh, listeners. Yeah, I've been. I, every time I hear it, I'm like, man, I, fu- I need to fucking say something to Calvin. No, and we need to do a selective listening Kid Rock now. Is it Bow Wee Ba? <laughs> the bang, the bang, diggy, 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 jump the boogie, and up jump the boogie. Bow with the bottom bang. It is, in fact. That's got a. And that's got a pretty sick like lead in. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, it's it's alright. I mean, it's not a horrible song. Kid Rock's first album is kind of solid. It, I mean, he's he's solid. I burned that burned that tape back in the day. So Third Eye Blind to me was interesting because, to an extent, they transcended all genre norms. They're technically a rock band, but they gained pop level acclaim and exposure. And they also, you know, like I said in that Wikipedia breakdown, they infused some of that hip hop lyricism into their songs. So they sounded completely different from a lot of the popular rock bands at the time, which were going more in the grunge rock or country rock direction. Third Eye Blind successfully sung about drugs and a and terrible life. And no one fucking life. noticed it, right? Right, in like a really poppy manner. Right. So that's why that's what I was going to say, is what was different is they're singing about how doing crystal meth makes you feel and everybody fucking jammed to it. Every person. Teens and 20-somethings liked it because it let them you know, jam out to a song about drugs that older people couldn't keep up with and thus had no idea it was about drugs. Uh, Parents listened to it because it was hella catchy. Kids liked it because their parents let them listen to it. And it it reminds me of the scene in The Office 
where Michael Scott messes something up down with the warehouse, right? And he orders pizza for the whole warehouse and all those guys. And he's like, pizza is the great equalizer. Men like pizza, women like pizza, white people like pizza, black people like pizza. Wait, do black people like pizza? That is semi-charmed light. The only thing I remember from that scene is the way that dude eats his pizza. Where he eats the cheese off sea of monster. it first like a, like a fucking animal. It's like, no, no, that's not how you eat pizza. Like, I, I'm, I'm not lying or exaggerating here when I say every single person in the late 90s liked Semi-Charmed Light. Oh, definitely. And I am so confident this that I put it it to the test. I put a poll up on Reddit because, you know, the internet is somewhere where no one has ever agreed on anything. Pretty much. There's always some way on the internet, especially Reddit and Twitter, that somebody's going to find a way to be divisive. So I put up a poll. All it said was, do you like Semi-Charmed Light by Third Eye Blind? It was on the uh, Nostalgia subreddit. The I'm easiest to one I can think of. Yeah. Uh, got 134 votes. 107 said yes. 27 said no. I mean, that's a pretty drastic margin. Yeah. That's, what, 85%? I don't do percentages well. I'm, like, borderline idiotic when it comes to math. It's 80%. You were I, close. I, I brought a calculator up and did it. But yeah, 80% of people <laughs> said yes, they like Semi-Charm Life. And there are some comments that are like, well, I liked it, but it got overplayed and blah, blah, blah. That's not the point I was making. The point I was making is... It's not is, the question. Yeah, if it, if it came on, are you, are you nodding your head and tapping your foot? And the answer is yeah. Listeners. I mean, whoever doesn't say do, 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 yeah. when it first comes on is fucking lying to themselves. Absolutely. Do you have any other thoughts on Third Eye Blind? I don't. I had more thoughts than I thought I would have on Third Eye Blonde. Oh, doing crystal meth will lift you up until you break. Till you go, go. Who is your second team? Oh, my second is the one, the only, Soldier Boy Tellum. You! My cat's like, no, not me! Peace. Dude, okay. Before I begin... Soldier Boy was also a big high school thing for me. He was that shit. That was my freshman year of high school. Uh, uh, that was like our... Yo! I'm just going to keep yo! doing that like in the middle of you talking. Don't worry. Well, we had this... Yo! Better shut the fuck up while I'm talking. <laughs> Superman at home. Oh, now watch me. Yo! No, but uh, we had this kid named Braxton on the team who was like 6'9". And our whole... You know, our theme song nice. was Soldier Boy. <laughs> was fucking Everybody's yeah! was in 2007. Yep. I mean, it. It. I remember when. Uh, so Braxton was a bit of a an asshole, and we were doing. We whooped the shit out of this one team, and we were doing the handshake at the end of it. And he was at the front of our line because he was injured at the time, and uh, was talking that shit to someone. And he's like, "That's why you are a bitch." So this dude spit in his face, and then. Both teams just started fighting. So there's like a hundred teenage kids fucking fighting over football and Soldier Boy. That's how much Soldier Boy meant to me. So I have this two... guy. Oh, go ahead. I was just sorry. No, you go ahead. I have two great Soldier Boy moments. One is the 2008 Summer Jam with Bow Wow called Marco Polo. Nice. So I'm just gonna leave it at that. Great jam. Bow Wow, Soldier Boy. This is before they started beefing. Go back to our episode on uh, rap beefs to hear more about Soldier Boy and Bow Wow beefing. 
over Lamborghinis and shit. Yeah. Uh, that's well, that's on part one of the rap beefs. Uh, the other is Tom Haverford Tom at the Haverford. Halloween party jamming to Turn My Swag On. Hopped up with, on my bed. Uh, uh, DJ Roomba. Kicking DJ the tracks. Roomba. Jerry, you killed him! Hopped up on my bed. Turn my swag on. Alright, so keep going okay. on, Soldier Boy. Anyway, Soldier Boy was fucking everywhere. You couldn't take a, I mean, a step without hearing someone yell "you" or fucking yep. Soldier Boy, and I mean, it was literally just that. And as an independent artist, for the most part, I gotta admire this dude's hustle. I mean, he had some questionable means to get people to discover him like I mean, he, he was a youtube rapper no he was a uh myspace rapper actually myspace and SoundClick. um but what he did i guess in doing my research I, I found out that to get himself noticed he'd like wait for the most popular song of the day to drop or you know whatever it was that day and then he would change the song title of his to whatever the song title was of the most popular song. So people would accidentally download his shit. And this is like <laughs> classic Soldier Boy, dude. <laughs> Everybody on LimeWire like, trying to download the best song and they just get Soldier Boy over and over right, and over again. Right. Like this dude on YouTube was like legitimately pissed about it when he's talking about it. Motherfucking and Little Wayne's here. I'm trying to get the new Wayne trying song. Trying to get Fireman get, and I just keep I getting, fucking, Yo! Got goddamn Soldier Boy. Who the fuck is this? And uh, so I mean different certainly different marketing and this guy was the like the first person to actually do that like to be discovered by the internet yeah vir- and, viral marketing well i mean and he the the most digital downloads this guy had a fucking hit on his hands and if you're listening to this i would imagine you have some familiarity with this song and probably yelled you and superman some kind or of yeah bitch yeah point. Oh fucking yeah, bitch yeah! That was, Kiss a, me that was the another throne. one of ours uh, that me and my friends would like. Uh, so we we kind of yeah, hate. Yeah. We loved to hate Soldier Boy. Like we knew he was trash, oh, but yeah. it was it was also so much fun with yeah, bitch yeah, and crank that and kiss she me got through the phone, uh, Soldier Girl. All of were so bad, but so much fun. And like Dude, we I knew was... that, and we were part of that moment, and we would just like yell yeah, bitch yeah at each other all the time. And every teenage kid knew what the fuck that meant, especially teenage white kids. We were like, "Yeah, man, Soldier Boy's my guy. Look at his shorts. He gets it. Just look at that shit." I don't think I Apes. was ever going. Uh, Soldier Boy's my guy, but yeah, I was all about Soldier Boy mostly because most of my football team was just like Soldier Boy's that shit. Everyone was wearing Bathing Apes. Mm-hmm. That was a huge thing for there for a while, and. I, I really. I didn't learn he... what that was until like 30 seconds ago when I'm looking through the lyrics and and saw it and clicked on what it meant. So. Oh shit, babes, bro. I mean, my buddy See had that. a pair of the the richest kid in school. He bought a pair of bathing ape ice creams, and uh, yeah, let like people stomp on him or some shit. It was dumb. It was dumb as fuck. But that that's that's the shit that Soldier Boy did to people. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna be fucking awesome. Um. But he also was incredibly prolific. This dude had 62 mixtapes. 62. I don't know if prolific's the right word. Just, I mean, he's fucking shitty. And that's kind of what leads to his downfall. 
Like that was his he had probably eight singles that were really, really, really popular, especially, you know, crank that Six, seven, eight, triple nine, eight, two, one, two. But fuck, man, his second album really killed him. Because he went from being ranked like second overall to forty three on the charts, eighth and second in the hip hop and R and B charts, but then uh it's like uh, where's Sean Way or something like that placed 90th, 18th, and 8th and then his next album, so his fourth studio album, didn't even place it all on any charts anywhere in the fucking world. I am seeing here he has a 2021 album Soldier World Oh god damn it, that's news so to coming. me. Yeah. Well, that leads me into my most recent interaction with Soldier Boy because I haven't heard any of his songs in I Soldier Boy tell years. him that's the album I actually downloaded the whole thing. Birdwalk I remember that. So that was big in uh, Birdwalk was big in Georgia because of the Falcons and the Hawks and well, the he's from Thrashers. Atlanta. He's not from Atlanta. He was born in Chicago. Yes, but he moved. To yeah, Atlanta. He claims he was Atlanta. Six. Right. So uh, Birdwalk was really big, right? Because every and and like my school was the Eagles. I remember we had a uh, like at a basketball game or a pep rally or some shit. There was a Birdwalk competition. And most of the people knew what was going on, but they got, like, this one white dude up there, and he had no idea what the fuck was going on. I was about to say, I was hoping you would say he killed it. Turn my and swag then, on, kiss me through the phone. Booty got swag. Great. Kiss me through the phone. Yeah. I just remember jamming to that shit with my subwoofers, and, like, all of us are like, this doesn't mean we're gay, though, guys. This is just a fucking jam. <laughs> Like, this may be a girl song, but it's fucking, it's a banger. But, I mean, Soldier Boy, this guy really completely fell off, in my opinion, with his Soldier Boy gang consoles. Oh, Jesus, I remember Dude, that. Dude, after dissing people like crazy, getting in a bunch of, you know, bunch of legal trouble and stuff like that, this dude started selling bootleg Chinese consoles called the Soldier Game Console, the Soldier Game Handheld, which was basically a Game Boy, and the Fuse. Well, it was like those and, things that you get on, on Wish.com that claim to have 256 games on them or whatever. But right, it's, all a, it's an emulator. Yeah, but it's not it's even fucking, an emulator. It's like a uh, knockoff emulator. It's a it's a booty Chinese emulator. Yeah. And what's funny is in doing my research, not even one day ago, so three days ago now, he is back at it again with a new bootleg console that looks like an Xbox One with a DualShock controller. There so this guy... The Mighty has fucking fallen, which I think being a, a creative, because ultimately he is, I, I gotta say he's a creative, but being, you know, he was a trendsetter at times. He yeah, I don't disagree with that. He, he fucking sucked. He looked stupid as fuck in all his music videos. He His fashion sense was whack. His music was whack. I, know, I guess you've never seen the Marco Polo video, because nobody looks stupid there. I've never seen that, but I'm going to go listen to Marco Polo after this video. is over and you're going to be like, where has this been all my life? This is a fucking banger. Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Marco Polo. I'm sh I'm sure I've heard that song. So good. Dude, if you had subwoofers in the 2000s, like you jam Soldier Boy because his shit slaps oh, hard as fuck. He had some level of talent. He was incredible. I thought he I thought he was and, great at marketing and himself. And he knew how to market and, himself, yes. Oh, dude, yeah. But that's that's pretty much it for fucking Soldier Boy. That's what I mean, the world we'll see, said ten years ago. Yeah, we'll see how it goes for him. So the fi my final entry 
is none other than the M-A dollar sign E Mace from See, this guy the is like unknown to me. You don't know Mace? Not really. <sighs> Feel so good. Mo' money, mo' problems. Harlem World. Calvin's like, I'm f- it's fucking over. Uh, so next week, the true superior Nick will actually be back from the tennis podcast. Uh, the lesser oh, Nick will no longer be around if he doesn't know Mace. <laughs> I will. I'll figure it out, man. I swear. Go listen to Mace. Go download all of Harlem World right now. Pay for it. Don't bootleg it. Pay for Harlem World. Wink, wink. You'll, you'll know what's up. Uh, so he he's a rapist, uh, hip hop <laughs> artist. He rose to fame in the God vacuum. David Jerry. He rose to fame in the vacuum that was created by Notorious B.I.G.'s death in the Bad Boy family. Uh, he was around a little bit before B.I.G. died, but uh, he was mostly unheard of before that. Uh, Puff Daddy kind of relied heavily on Mace to fill that void left by Biggie's date death he mostly delivered in the late 90s uh, i know you haven't heard of him but that doesn't matter uh he's the bridge rapper I see. yeah he he was never the same level as biggie uh few are obviously we've yeah, talked about notorious the... big on episode like 46 go back and check that out um but he was really good and he was fun to listen to which is important i probably should have listened to some mace you really should have uh he hit his zenith with uh, the release of Harlem World, his album in 1997, debuted at number one on the Billboard Pop and R&B charts, went four times platinum. Again, that's four million copies sold. The singles from Harlem World included Feel So Good, Looking At Me, and What You Want. He was also featured in 1997 on Mariah Carey's Honey, Brian McKnight's You Should Be Mine, and Brandy's Sitting on Top of the World. And we already know you don't know who Brandy is, so that doesn't matter to you. Shit, I mean, being featured by Mariah Carey in 1997, though, that's some shit. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, it uh... is. I mean, that's that basically Nick. as big as you can get. Don't patronize I mean, he was me, on, Calvin. He was on Mo Money Mo Problems at the same time, which is P. Diddy, Notorious B.I.G., Lil Kim. I uh, do he was know on All one. About the Benjamins. He was on... Uh, what's the one after Biggie died? I'll be missing you. So, I've been killed. He was out there. N- n- no. Uh, I'll be missing you by Puff Daddy and the Family. He was on that. Uh, so his claim to fame is probably mo money mo problems uh but that wasn't his song but he came on and destroyed his verse on mo money mo problems um which really put him on the map in terms of people recognizing that he is a force to be reckoned with and i like to to compare it to Nicki minaj's verse on monster where she came out of nowhere to just destroy people like jay-z and ti and the rizza on you know something that's their track and then Nicki minaj comes out of nowhere and has the best verse on the track that was mace on mo money mo problems some people do that shit man like j-rock did that with kendrick lamar's out first album yep uh but again that that wasn't his song he needed his own song to really take the leap and that came with feel so good which peaked at number five on the billboard hot 100 and the hot uh r&b and hip-hop chart and that's a bad 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 boy you make me feel so good. No, I not ringing any bells. I do know that. Yeah. Uh, so that went sort of the song went certified gold within a month of release. Uh, Chris Tucker appears in the music video, which was directed by Hype Williams, and the the song was featured on the Money Talk soundtrack track, uh, which features Chris Tucker, and so that's why or Money Talk Money Talks stars Chris Tucker, so that's why he's in the video. That makes sense. Have you ever seen Money Talks? Uh, no. Chris Tucker, Charlie Sheen. It's pretty funny. 
I mean, that is a killer combo. Yeah, they uh, the Chris Tucker's like a con man kind of, and he and he's trying. Charlie Sheen is somewhat As on the con, is. but they're conning all his rich friends. Yeah, it's pretty fun. As one does. Yeah, uh, not a whole lot to feel so good. It's it's not a deep song. It's it's kind of one of those classic examples of a hip hop song created for pop audiences, but it's a bang. I mean, sometimes those are fucking bangers, yeah. and I'm I'm cool with it. I'm see, hip hop comes to me in two moods. One's I just want a banger. I just want a fucking jam. That's feel so good. And the other is I want some lyrical shit. I'm a little invested. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, this this uh, his he has a good lyrical flow, and you get some of that, but it's clearly not made for that purpose. And it's one of the ultimate never skip songs when it comes on the shuffle. It's it's just too hard not to smile and dance when it comes on. I'm really gonna have to check this shit out. So at this point, with Feel So Good, Mason proved to the world that his smooth flow had the ultimate staying power, and that he could bring his brand of hip hop lyricism to mainstream pop music. And he would follow Feel So Good up with a slew of hit singles and featured tracks, culminating in frontlining the theme song to the Rugrats movie. What? That's Maya and Blackstreet. That's got to be his downfall signifier. No, Take Me There is a banger. Go listen to take. So you got you got homework. Marco Polo, Feel So Good, Take Me There. I'm sure I've listened to that. If it was the Rugrats theme song for the movie, yeah, definitely listen to that. Oh, it's it's Mace, Maya, and Blackstreet. It's really good. So here's his downfall. <laughs> he released uh, his second album, Double Up, in 1999. It debuted at number 11 on the Billboard Top 200, uh, but it did not sell well after that. He became more aggressive on Double Up, and that seemed to work towards his detriment. He wasn't delivering the poppy hip-hop anymore, which is kind of the niche he fit, in, fit himself into with his early, early releases and features. Did he go a little um, more DMX instead of... You know, a little more exhibit. I think he went a little more Ja Rule. Oh. Uh, I <laughs> I could I I didn't find any record of any of the singles from Double Up charting at all, so that like it it did not do very well. And then in 1999, an interview with in an interview with Funkmaster Flex on Hot 97, Mace announced he was retiring from rap to answer a call from God. Nice. And, uh, th- yeah, this is directly from Wikipedia. He claimed he was leading people, friends, kids, and others down a path to hell, stating that he left to find God in his heart and follow him. He said it was time for him to serve God in his way, saying rap was not real and that he wanted to deal with the reality and had become unhappy with what he did, no matter how much money it had made him. The same year, Mason rolled as a freshman at Clark Atlanta University, a historically black college, and began taking classes on August 19th. Unlike other freshmen, Mace was permitted to live off campus and commute, but he is said to have downplayed his past as a rapper and stayed fairly low-key while on campus. After graduating, Mace became an ordained minister. That's, I mean, actually pretty cool. I can see why that dude disappeared. Oh, he didn't disappear forever, though. Oh, so... He's completely irrelevant now, but he tried his hand at a few comebacks. Don't tell Uh, me he came out with a Jesus Christ-themed rap album. He did not. He was on the remix of Kanye West's Jesus Walks, though. Had a banger verse on that. No shit. Yeah. Uh, but his first comeback attempt was in 2004. He returned to music with the album and single Welcome Back. And I was there for this Mace comeback. And it was definitely like a moment in hip-hop music. And you not knowing Mace, it probably wasn't for you. But 
people my age, Mace was one of the first rappers we listened to because he was radio friendly. His first album, his first couple singles were radio friendly mm-hmm. and were and were that kind of pop hip hop mix. So that was our introduction into like Feel So Good was a uh, skating rink staple. Oh, yeah, go yeah. to the roller rink. Feel So Good is always on at the roller rink in the late 90s. Yeah, I mean. So then and he just disappeared. Like we didn't know where he was. Um, so I first heard about his comeback. It was, I was at this three on three basketball tournament that was held in this residential neighborhood in the street every year where we played on eight foot rim. So mostly everyone could dunk. Nice. A lot of fun three on three tournament. It was, it was super awesome. Fuck yeah. So anyway, someone mentioned in passing that Mace was back and, you know, all of a sudden the focus came off of whatever games were being played on these two courts and moved on to what this dude was saying about Mace. Um, and this was early in 2004, early internet. You didn't know really about new music unless you happened upon it in FYE or you subscribed to magazines uh, like industry magazines or anything like that. Or you were just way late on anything, right? You didn't know what was coming and when it was coming. And this dude just all of a sudden captivated all of us with this announcement. You're just like, yo, tell me more. Yeah. Where's my As board? far as we knew, Mace was dead. Like, we just hadn't heard from him in five years. In 1999, unless you're in New York listening to Hot 97, you didn't hear that he left to, to be a minister. Like, you you didn't hear any of that. So now it's five years later. Mace is out of our consciousness. We don't even realize. And now this dude's telling us, now he's just been a minister, just out of the game, and now he's back and just released an album? And I want your I went money. To F- yeah, I went to FYE so fast after my team got bounced out of the three-on-three tournament and picked up Welcome Back and listened to it for like a week straight. <laughs> One week, though. Was it whack? Was it whack thirteen? No, no. Welcome back is is pretty solid. That's fine. Um, so shout out to Josh Alexander, but also shout out because like I really hated that dude so much. But then re shout out because he was the one that put me back on Mace's comeback. So like I forgive not... you. Yeah, I, I'm confused. Yeah. Um, it it wasn't a great album. You know, I'll still jam to some of the tracks on it. Uh, it's more born out of nostalgia than anything because it was so great just to have Mace back and it allowed you to overlook some of the flaws with Welcome Back. Uh, it debuted at number four on the Hot 100 and went gold, selling over 500,000 copies. I had a rapper very similar to that. Soldier Boy? No, uh, Earl oh. Sweatshirt. Oh, that like Earl. Fucking you Earl. put me on Earl. I fucking love Earl Sweatshirt. Doris is a fantastic album. Um, but yeah, he disappeared for like three... He came out with so much good music when he was like 17 and then just disappeared for three years to Samoa and then reappeared with Doris. Dave Chappelle? No, not with Dave Chappelle. So Mace completed this first comeback by joining Eminem and Fat Joe on the Lean Back remix, which is really great remix to a not Lean very good back. song. Yeah. Lean Back. Uh, Lean Back's not very good because most of it's Fat Joe, but then he brings a remix with Eminem and Mace and it cranks it up to 11 real quick yeah fat joe realized he's like man this fat people don't want any so mace attempted to come back two or three more times in the mid 2000s uh mace temporarily joined g unit and was featured on several <laughs> songs on the god trying soundtrack <laughs> he was featured on several songs on the get rich or die trying soundtrack and released some solid mixtapes in which he had officially dropped the quote-unquote bad boy gone clean image that was the image he went on welcome back he was the bad boy gone clean because he used to be on bad boy and now he like uh welcome back was a it was a clean album there there wasn't any swearing or anything like that on it uh still going back to his roots as a minister he was trying to to kind of bridge that gap of 
being a man of God and being a rapper. Uh, again, doesn't work very well. So when he joins G Unit, that's all out the window. Um, he has since said that working with G Unit was not something he regrets, but that the message he was sending was a mistake. He joined G Unit to appeal to a different audience so they could see that they could change just as he did thinking that in order to get people where I'm at, I have to go back to where I once was. So he thinks he's going to change G-Unit into godly men. He's like, y'all, put the weed down and pick up the Bible. And for those of you who don't know, G-Unit is 50 Cent, Lloyd Banks, Tony Yayo, and uh, who's the other one? I don't know. Young Buck. Well, I mean, literally every single one of them has been shot Yeah. at least once. They're not well, and big on Fifty God. Cent's been shot enough for all of them. Yeah, I mean, it, at least nine times. Yeah. Uh, so he attempted another comeback in 2009 by first appearing on some R&B remixes of popular hip hop tracks, most notably a remix of Drake's "Best I Ever Had," a remix of Drake's "Best I Ever Had." No, uh, also some sure. like Ron Browse songs and OJ to Juice Man. I remember some with OJ to Juice Man. <laughs> Fucking hated OJ to Juice Man. Uh. He and then he was releasing new tracks through a weekly spot on Power 105 on the TJ Self Show. Uh, and then his final comeback attempt occurred in 2012 when he hinted at joining Rick Ross's label Maybach Music Group (MMG). Uh, he didn't release any albums or singles during this time, but he was featured on several tracks by MMG artists, including Wale and Pusha T. And uh, he was also on Kanye West put together like a collaboration album between Good Music and MMG that was called Cruel, Cruel Summer. And he was on a few of those songs as well. He had hinted at the time that the only way he was fully coming back to rap music was by joining Kanye West's Good Music or Drake's OVO Sound label. And uh, I'm going to guess neither of them really wanted Yeah, they're like, pass. Hard pass. And yeah. Kanye West loves God. His last release uh, was a diss track aimed at Cameron in 2017 titled The Oracle. I have not heard that. I've heard a lot of his mixtape and underground stuff. I have not heard The Oracle. Man, there's very few fantastic mixtapes, and it sounds like Mace had none of them. I don't know. Mace, Mace is pretty good. <laughs> You're like, don't fucking hate on Mace, you yeah. bastard. You can't hate on Mace. Um, so... the. What I'm about to read, this is from Mace's Wikipedia, but it kind of perfectly summed up the answer to what do people think of him or what did he mean to the general zeitgeist. Um, so I'm just going to tr- straight up plagiarize it here. And sidebar, is it plagiarism if you agree out front that that's what you're doing? I don't think it's plagiarism if you're just reading it. Fair. All right. I'm taking that. Mace's melodic rap style has had an enduring influence on hip-hop. Many rappers such as Pusha T, Fabulous, and Kanye West have adopted Mace's lazy yet melodic flow on several occasions. So throughout this, I had a really hard time coming up with the perfect way to describe Mace's style. And that's it. That That's the perfect description. Lazy yet melodic flow. Right on. Um, Jay-Z and Drake, among other rappers, have borrowed Mace's lines in their song. And Kanye West has described Mace as his favorite rapper ever. So that is the impact that Mace had on the current hip-hop world wonder if uh, Kanye would still say that. Uh, I don't know what Kanye's saying nowadays, man. Vote for me! Yeah. Um, so, what do you got for honorable mentions? So, for honorable mentions, I got Asher Roth. Ooh. You fucking remember that, Kat? Asher Roth. Yeah. I love college. God damn, man. I, lo- I love drinking. 
Hey. I love women. Yeah, asleep in the bread aisle was my shit for a couple weeks. I want to piggyback on that and go with Travi McCoy, who was very similar to uh, – he was the gym class hero's front man, and then he kind of went off on his own and signed with T-Pain's label. I thought he was going to be so good, and he was not. Gym Class Heroes was great. He still has a clothing line, actually. Travis McCoy does? Yeah. All right, good for him. Yeah, they sold it at Macy's. I remember seeing it every day when I walked past it. I'd be like, hey, Gym Class Heroes, nice. Man, I'm, I'm going to have to listen to a few of their songs there, because they had a couple decent ones. And my second pick is motherfucking T-Pain. Oh, no. Yeah, I love dude. T-Pain, man. I, I mean, he I love T-Pain. Off. Where the fuck is he? Where's he's he on been? Twitter. He's doing Twitch streams. He's on The Masked Singer. He's doing all kinds of stuff. Man, get the fuck out of here with that shit. I think you've fallen off if you show up on The Masked Singer. Dude, I think it's he's, official. He's, been, he's been falling off. If he's on Twitch streams, dude, next thing he's going to be doing is making a console. No, he's... Like, he got... I've followed him on Twitter for 12 years now. <laughs> <laughs> I got on Twitter in 2009, and he was an early adapter of Twitter, um... So like I, I've been following him this whole time, but he he got like way like 2013 he got way into video games and started streaming and things like that. So he does some things. Not rap music. A, he, no, that definitely not. He he likes to have his hands in a lot of different creative endeavors. He's not going to create his own console, but like he he likes to diversify. Diversify your bonds. Yeah. Oh. Dude. But he's an int- he's interesting. He is an interesting. I'll agree guy. that he he fell off. After he fell three off hard as fuck. I mean, I was there probably till about 2012. He kept hinting that he was gonna drop this big album, and he'd drop a song here and a song there, and the full album never came. And I'm just like, I I kept with him. He'd release mixtapes, and just it wasn't ever as good as like what Three Rings was. Sounds like Dr. Dre. Kind of. Yeah, it's kind of just like that. We're gonna get right. beat. we're gonna get jumped out yeah, about I have, somewhere. I have three honorable mentions. Oh my god! The first one's real quick. Houston, Houston. I don't know who the fuck that is. Uh, this one's just funny to me. Um, he had one song in Bro. I want to say 2004. Houston, Houston. That's how he pronounced it. Houston uh, was he was like a, he was like a. Uh, a chingy prodigy or not prodigy protege chameleonaire uh, it was a little before chameleonaire but he um he was bad the song is called i like that it was it was fine it was like one of these pop poppy hip-hop sounded just like chingy almost i went and bought the whole album and the whole album was complete garbage i don't you hate I, that when you buy an album i could i couldn't terrible. even tell you anything else that was on it other than i like that so that's the only reason i mentioned him here because i was like this dude's awesome let me go check it out and it was bad it was very bad uh, cool so my next one is mike jones who mike jones uh 281-330-8004 hit mike jones up on the low because mike jones about to blow and uh blow he did for about six months dude his music's shit i had his first album I it's think the first good. album was solid. Uh, I think it was solid. It's not great. By I any respect you, Calvin, but me. that album I was think whack. Once the 14. freshness of him saying his phone number a hundred times on a song and realizing that, hey, that's a real number I could call, and and calling it, I think after that wore off, he didn't have much left. Dude, I Did called that call? number like a thousand times. Oh yeah, and he leave him a message, and that that's it. You'd be bummed. It's like, man, fucking Mike Jones, hit me back, dude. Yeah. 
Um, and you and I were, were talking on text. I think 281-330-8004 is the 8675309 of our time. Oh, like everybody dude. just knows that number. 100%. Yeah. 8004. Hit Mike Jones up on the low because Mike Jones about to blow. Uh, that music video is so whack. Yeah, they all are. It's, it's whack 15. He jumps up two whacks. That's how bad the music video is. Dang. So my last one was Nelly. And this was one that I was seriously Oof. considering putting on the list. Man, he started the longest yard, though. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> so Nelly was great. And we talked about it before Dude, way back on. Dude, Sweat were so nasty. Episode 59, top 10 rap albums. We talked all about country grammar how great Nelly was he he just came on strong country grammar Nellyville was full of bangers uh which that, that's usually tough for a second album you know to oh, come yeah. out with more bangers um and you know no one had a higher high and a faster fall than Mr. Cornell Haynes Nelly Nell his name is Cornell Haynes yeah how the fuck do you get Nelly out of that Cornell Nelly he was he was oh, Cornell yeah. Haynes Jr. or the third, so his dad was Cornell, and they called him Nelly. So okay, you. that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I have random facts about Nelly in the back of my head for some reason. So he performed at the Super Bowl touch. twice within three years. He was in a movie with Adam Sandler. Sweat and Suit so was a moment, man. Releasing that double album, Grills was amazing. Now, let his me last see real hit in 2005. Um, that that had a movement all its own, and I. I wrote this thing about grills on the site that's no longer there because, you know, I realized I didn't have enough time for all these different hobbies um, that I had been developing and writing on the website was the easiest one to just drop because nobody was paying attention to it anyways. And uh, it became too cumbersome to find the time to research for that and for this. And anyway, so I wrote this thing about grills and grills is probably going to show up in a selective listening episode at some point because I had a lot of good thoughts on grills for that that I need to get back out to the masses. Dude, I will so talk about grills. I so bought a happened. fucking grill. I bought one, dude, because Oof. of that song. All right. <laughs> from from the Indian right folks. Past that. Yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna move right past that. Uh, and boom, he's gone after that. After you know, he, he kept... got my grill money. <laughs> <laughs> I think Paul Wall actually got your grill money. Fuck Paul Wall. It's the Ice Man, Paul Wall. The Ice Man, Paul Wall. He kept making music, but I think the industry had overtaken him in the meantime. Like Lil Wayne, T.I., Drake, they had all blown up in the meantime of Nelly trying to figure out what his next move is. And there just wasn't space for Nelly anymore. He was he got too mainstream, man, it felt like. Yeah, I, I really liked Nelly. He was always a lot of fun, and he just he lost himself trying to change with the times, and that passed him by, kind of like I was talking about it before. Like he, right. he tried to do these different styles be like Lil Wayne to be like T.I. and he just didn't have it in him at that point in his career no he was like 33 once yeah. he gets to that age it's done Dunzo yeah, you're fucking Dunzo as a rapper alright so let's get to the what would you do portion of this name one band or group or artist that could either be mentioned above or now that you still love and interact with regular, relatively regularly uh this may be a bit controversial but the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Ooh. Yes, man. Yeah. I I, I feel that. literally grew up listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They have some of my favorite music of all time. And they're still, you know, as people discover them, they're still decently big. But they're nowhere near what they were in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, I mean, they haven't released a good album since 2006. Like, their last two albums have just been shit. 
Stadium Arcadia. I remember. Fucking that. love that double double sided album. Great. Yeah. Well, side one was great. Side two had two good songs on it. So are you listening to? I guess I haven't really released anything. You're not listening to any relatively recent Red Hot Chili Peppers, but you'll go back and listen to the old stuff often. Well, I mean, I bought their last two albums, and I, you know, when they're on, I'll I'll listen to them. My daughter likes mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I I will happily go back to their older shit every time. Yeah, um, I'm in that same boat with Nelly as I just outlined. If he released anything new, I wouldn't listen to it. T-Pain, same thing. Like, I'll listen to almost any T-Pain at any time. If T-Pain dropped an album tomorrow, I would buy it. Um, Nelly, not so much because I haven't liked anything from him in years. But, like, I've been anticipating a T-Pain album for so long that I think I would have to just to see how it is. And not long ago, it was within the last four years because I lived in the house I currently live in when it happened, he released T-Wayne. Which was a concept album that him and Lil Wayne had worked on back in 2009 that they never completed and they never actually released it because label drama and all this kind of stuff. Uh, So he was just like, fuck it, I'm going to release it for free. And uh, it it was pretty solid. It was also all made in 2009. You could very fully feel that. Oh, yeah. Uh, But if if he dropped something tomorrow, I'd definitely give it a listen. And then another one is is Fall Out Boy. Episode 5 of a podcast about something is all about Fall Out Boy. Um, they, whenever they have a new album, I listen to it. Their, their last one, Mania, was not very good, in my opinion. Um, but they have kind of a forever sound that I could always listen to. I go back to them every six months or so and have, like, I don't know, I'll listen to the, my catalog of Fall Out Boy songs and then move on from them for a couple months. Yeah, so my catalog of Fall Out Boy songs is every Fall Out Boy song ever, so it, it's Dang, cumbersome. Kevin. Dang, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy them, and it's it's just it's it's one of those uh, comfort food bands. Just like if it's on, I Definitely. feel good. I, I feel in the right headspace. I'm there with you. I feel you 100 percent on that. Let us know on Twitter what your, you know, what bands you think should have made it bigger. What bands you still listen to that you wish had made it bigger. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at APA something at alone underscore podcast. Let us know what you think. Cause uh, we left off a lot, you know, we only covered really four groups. Oh, dude. Or artists, I mean, so there, there's a lot of people that fell off in between there. I Let had us to know narrow Hootie it down. And the Blowfish thought. I mean, you keep going back to Hootie and the Blowfish. I think we just need to have a supplemental episode about Hootie and the fucking Blowfish. I have nothing to say about Hootie and the Blowfish. I just think it's funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter there. Uh, you can check out our uh, merch store, tpublic.com slash APA something, or slash users APA. Just search APA something or podcast about something. You'll get to us on tpublic.com. Uh, or click the link in the uh, description down there. Leave us a review on iTunes. We like those. And um, thanks, as always, to those cats for all the music for a podcast about something. And you guys stay sassy. Stay classy. Stay classy.